Have you got something to open the podcast with, Simon? Have you got something? Have you got something? Have you got something to open the podcast with? Podcast time! Podcast time! Podcast all the way. Podcast time. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to go into a couple of minutes like, oh, cool. Podcast time, podcast time. Grind up the frog and make him slime. Art cinema, fart cinema. Art cinema, fart cinema. Art cinema, fart cinema. Hello there. Hi. My name is Nadim. My name is Simon. Welcome to Art Cinema Fart Cinema, the podcast that covers the bad, well I can't remember what the fucking thing is, the bad podcast movie of the podcast films. The bad podcast <laughs> about films that are great, <laughs> films, uh, that, films that give me a semi-erect nose. Why is my head all fucked? I'm actually on the cabbage soup diet. I'm a, an overweight man, so I've decided to... Uh... Yeah, Simon's actually super fucking fat. Like, Simon's actually huge. His, just... his belly keeps on brushing the microphone. It's really obnoxious. Yeah, know, sorry about that. Fucking fat. So I've been on the, the seven-day cabbage soup diet that uh, leads to flatulence and lightheadedness. What do your poos look like? They look like cabbage. It's actually like a little cabbage. It comes just out like a little fucking Brussels sprouts. Just like broom <laughs> into the toilet bowl. Uh, rattling around that thing. Yeah. This episode is Question Part 2. Woo! Which we talk about Quest movies. Specifically, as it happens, movies from the 80s that are about quests. So this week, we're talking about Legend, a 1985 film. The fourth film by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott, of course. Of Alien fame, of Blade Runner fame. And not of fame of The Duelist, which was his first film. And, and of course, uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings. <laughs> yeah. Later to be like famous for all sorts of other shit. Yeah, total shit movies. But you know, yeah. this is a movie... Right, so basically, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the, the premise of this film. But I'm also going to say, just, just as an experiment, okay? This is the experiment. Come up with a fantasy movie plot that is intentionally generic as fuck and intentionally takes all the kind of fantasy tropes and just kind of smushes them all together and just just come up in your head right now listener at home with a generic fantasy story okay right and it's like a quest story okay think about it okay cool I'm going to tell you the, the can you see it can you see it right <laughs> don't tell us what it is put your like uh, the image away but just keep hold keep on it hold of it. it keep a hold yeah, of it yeah. in your mind's eye so this is about a princess who lives in a pure world and she has a friend who is like a, a, a lowly boy who is nonetheless a pure boy played by Tom Cruise and Mia, Mia Sarah is the person who plays the princess mm-hmm. and an evil goblin no, an evil a devil <laughs> tasks a goblin with destroying the two unicorns that exist in the world because the unicorns make the world perfect and pure and beautiful so if the goblin successfully kills the two unicorns and brings the blood back, then the world will be corrupted and badness shall prevail. There will be no lo- no more daylight. So uh, <laughs> the unicorns end up getting killed by this fucking goblin guy and <laughs> badness comes and then the princess gets kidnapped by the fucking devil goblin guy and then the... 
lowly young quest man needs to go on a quest to rescue the princess and defeat the goblin and restore lightness to the whole world and it's like that's the story of legend yeah generic fantasy pish that's it (laughs) that's the order of the day that's the order of the day so this film apparently went through 15 one five script revisions so the very first script was apparently like a a, people say that it's a masterpiece i think that they should do it now because they talk about it like as being like an epic lord of the rings with like really amazing lots of side plots and and things yeah so they should they should look at that script and do that again Mm. but because they don't they don't want to take any chances and they just want to remake labyrinth instead of you know like look at a script that never got made at all yeah, yeah, they want but to just remake. They it. should try working with that guy's well, script and do it. I don't know. So apparently, they cut out all the side plots and just made it a generic quest movie. So they they were like, we want it to be more focused. So fifteen script revisions later, <laughs> they just made this bland generic film, narrative wise. This film flopped again as well. So just like Labyrinth, this movie fucking oh pfft, tanked. Twenty five million budget and it made about that much at the box office in the whole world. So and it actually was more successful than Labyrinth. Yeah, but well, it ain't good. But it ain't, <laughs> but it ain't gonna cut the mustard for, you know, big franchise money. It ain't it ain't your Back to the Future. It ain't your yeah. Star Wars, you know? Yeah. It ain't gonna cut it, boy. No, yeah. So Ridley Scott is is a director I, I would say in my in my opinion He's a director that is a little bit overpraised, but sim- simultaneously underpraised for other things. So in his bad movies, so let's say Prometheus, or say Exodus, Gods and Kings, which is a fairly recent one, or say this one, he still nails so much in bad films. So in bad movies like Prometheus, the atmosphere is amazing, the effects use is amazing, The for the most part the performances are really good, Mm-hmm. Like, like, there's a lot to love about Ridley Scott's bad films. And uh, Mark Kermode, your best pal Mark Kermode, the film critic, said that Ridley, it seems that Ridley Scott is as good as the writing. You know what I mean? So, right, okay. or no, Or he's only as good as what's as written script, down. Yeah. Exactly. He's only as good as the script, exactly. And I think that's definitely true of Legend, right? Because I think if this was... See if this was actually, like, a well-written film with a really interesting plot and stuff like that. It would be, like, an all-time great film. Yeah, like the the effects in this film and the sets in this film are gorgeous, absolutely yeah. gorgeous. It's amazing. Yeah, like seriously, seriously amazing filmmaking from from that point of view, from, from like the production design point of view, amazing. Uh, I think the film. So the film for the first maybe ten minutes of the film, it's just the princess character played by Mia Sarah, mm-hmm. and uh, then along comes Mister Fucking <laughs> Tom Cruise. <laughs> he talks to the animals. <laughs> uh, so Tom Cruise plays the lowly, the lowly pure shepherd boy. He knows this forest more than anyone. Uh, he, he's, he's a forest boy. He's he talks. He's at one with nature. He wears that like raggy, like he wears like a rag, raggy clothes, and he's got long ass hair, and he's got these fucking massive teeth. I don't yeah, know if Tom were... Cruise before his his Hollywood dental work. So we've got the cabinet of Dr. Caligari's staircase just going along the top <laughs> row of his, his mouth. The f- yeah, his teeth are like insane in this film. I thought it was just part of the character. But... Not that I'm one to talk. I'm just saying that it's not re- a regular thing. It's going to come as a shock to those who, who go and, see, Tom Cruise. <laughs> go and yeah. see this film after. They, they see Ethan Hunt in fucking Mission Impossible and they're like, yeah, Hollywood action man. And then they watch Legend and they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like, say if you're married to a really handsome and and sophisticated and successful man 
And then you looked at his school photo and he's like a fucking, he looks like Wallace at a Wallace and Gromit. Chess club. It's like, yeah, you know, he's in the chess club. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it's like. And that's probably why Tom Cruise, he's happy to talk about plenty of crap films that he's in, like Days of Thunder and Far and Away. And that. It's, it's all like, oh, I, I learned so much, you know, and we did this and I like the director. Da, da, da. But in this film, when it comes to this film, like, do not talk about it at all. He doesn't want to talk about it. <laughs> and he's not going to appear on any making of documentaries reminiscing about this or anything like that. He's not. He's going to just, like, banish it from his mind, basically. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that's got to do with what you're talking about. It's not that it's a bad movie. It's that he doesn't like to look uncool. Mm, this is a girly guy. This is a guy who says, I don't know much of weapons. And when he comes up against a creature, he, he acts kind of somewhat frightened. Well, Tom Cruise speaks Tom Cruise doesn't like looking less than a fucking hero in his films. That's all it is. He just wants people to make out that he's got a big fucking dick. <laughs> he speaks in a really, like, soft voice the entire movie. It's kind of creepy. He's like, oh, I, th- I care about you, Princess Lily. I really, I really care about you and love mm. you and want to marry you. And it's like, <laughs> apparently he did all the stunts for this movie, which is cool. So because there's not very many of them. That's but that, that's still cool. But he like dives into a rock pool, which is pretty cool. Apparently there was alligators in that rock pool, and they were just like, yeah, Tom can do it. <laughs> so even as a youngster, because uh, he's he's pretty young in this film. Yeah, yeah, totally. He must be what 19, 18? something like he's that. A, he's yeah. a young man in this movie. So. He got, he's right in there straight with the whole, I do my own. I do my own stunts, yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so, oh, Tom, he's also got a monobrow in this fucking movie. And I don't know if it was part of the character or if he just didn't. No one had, no one had said you can tweeze that shit. Yeah. Yeah. Ridley Scott's like, Tom, Tom, just, just two seconds, man. Can, can, can you tweeze that, please? Yeah. Tweeze those fucking eyebrows. You know Brit, uh, Ridley Scott's British, yeah? Oh, shit, is he? Yeah. Oh, okay. So it's more like Tom, what? Tom. Can Come you, right you tweeze that fucking shit between your eyebrows, you fucking cunt? <laughs> Tommy, you fucking idiot. No, I thought he was Texan. No, he's... Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the te- of Texans. What it's can like, you tell us about the Texans? Like, they just be more like... Tom, you better tweeze that! When it comes to having sex, I can do Latvians, Polskis, and Mexicans. Upstairs, they like old-time rock and roll. Downstairs, I all-time rot to my soul. The toilet I must go, where my pee can freely flow. Sound travels down my trembling bones. I fantasize a skull crushed by stone. You've got massive front teeth, but you can still get my beef. Aye, the sets in this film are gorgeous. Like, they built a massive fucking forest for this movie. Yeah, the, 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 there was a, a, the biggest soundstage in Hollywood. Oh, no, in Europe, in, sorry. In, it was in Britain. In Europe, yeah. yeah in so this film, as it happens, was being shot at the same time next door to Legend. Not to Legend, fuck, to Labyrinth. Right, okay. Really? Yeah, so Labyrinth and Legend were being shot at the same time, right? In L3 Studios in, in uh, England. And, here's the big and, Brian Henson, who played uh, Hoggle in Labyrinth. Labyrinth, he was like, he met and like pure, like absolute crushed on Mia Sarah, and they're married. Yeah. Well, so they met, like, mingling between the two movie sets. That's fucking weird. How weird is that? she's 15. Well, I, th- I, I think they, they met later on. 
Like right. they, they met again later on, right? So the, it's like it's more like I remember you from that film. From that, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't right. think. Cool. <laughs> okay, good. The other thing that's kind of weirding me out is that Legend was shot long before it was released. Yeah, like, that's right. It was like a so three-year development. Why did Labyrinth, did Labyrinth take the same length of time then? Labyrinth was difficult to film as well. As well. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah. both ended up released years after being shot. Yeah. Okay, fair That's enough. Right. Yeah, yeah, as it happens. Two massive quest movies with heavy effects use and significant use of physical sets. And then uh, they were both released rather late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what I love about this is that the opening credits to this film, it seems it's very similar to the Blade Runner opening credits and the, even the Alien opening credits where it's the kind of slow atmospheric to kind of dive into this... Uh, into the world of the film which Ridley Scott's really good at he's, he's great at building up a world on, on screen and uh, there's a bit where uh, at the very start where you see a bear stumbling through the forest and then Tom Cruise's name kind of just emerges like as, as a credit over the name of the over the bear so because it coincides with the emergence of the bear I was like is that Tom Cruise playing that bear? Yeah. <laughs> but no, no, I was, I was, I was mistaken. There. Tom Cruise in the costume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know uh, we talked, we talked about, before, <laughs> we talked about before that there's save the cat moments in films where our introduction to a character kind of demonstrates their essence or demonstrates their, uh, yeah. demonstrates their character. And uh, our introduction to the princess uh, played by Mia Sarah is that she, basically that she's a cat because <laughs> she pulls the washing off the line. And I'm like, mm-hmm. see if I did that to my mom. Bleeding fairies! Yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> like she, my mom would stab me in the heart with the with the fucking whirly gig pole. She'd pull it out of the ground and just. The <laughs> woman, the woman never knows. The woman that she does it to, she never knows that that's Mia Sarah doing that. Yeah, just so just, she comes in and goes, uh, "What's it, Lily? It's always good to have a visit from you." And it's like Lily didn't even fucking own up to the fact that she was being a dick earlier yeah. on. It's not even like it was a fun prank. She was just being a dick. Idiot. Mm-hmm. Never mind. So, uh, so our save the cat moment for for Mia Sarah. Mia Sarah. She's a bit of a trickster. She's a bit of an asshole. Bit of an asshole. But then, and yeah. she also doesn't have any time for anyone. Yeah. I'm much too busy today. <laughs> I need to get to the woods. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So anyway, so she ends up causing some kind of. There's kind of a biblical element woven into this. So what happens is. Uh, Mia Sarah's character touches a unicorn and because she's immortal they're not allowed to touch unicorns I presume that makes the unicorn vulnerable and the goblin is then able to kill the unicorn which means that the world becomes darkness which is basically Adam and Eve right yeah. <laughs> and um yeah the goblin knows to tail uh, Lily because yeah. she's innocent the, yeah, she's the devil innocent. has the, the darkness played by Tim Curry who looks like the devil but Technically, in the film, he's just a character called Darkness. He sends the goblin, he says, you can bait uh, the unicorns with innocence or something like that. Mm. So they know to tail Lily because eventually they're going to cr- she's going to cross paths with the unicorn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and when she touches it, you know, Tom Cruise knows that this is uh, as Jack. It's it? forbidden. He knows it's forbidden, so he's like totally sitting from the, the trees, from the safety of the trees, just thinking, what the fuck is she doing? Don't touch the unicorn. <laughs> and then she does it. And it oh, all, no. every, the world frosts over, ice everywhere. And daylight disappears. Yeah, just <laughs> the, the frost arrives just after Tom's dived into a river to fetch a ring back. So when he swims back up, he's, he hits his head on the ice. <laughs> and he's all like... When he breaks through the ice, it's this bizarre moment where he just goes... So he doesn't need to take a breath in. He needs to go... 
Why would that be the first thing you do after you've You'd been, breathe in, right? You'd be, you'd be more like... <gasps> yeah, you'd you wouldn't, you wouldn't come out of a, yeah, a situation like that, like going... <laughs> oh, Ridley Scott. What you, are you doing? You and your Eunice. Blooming Ridley Scott. I don't know. So, the Lord of Darkness, a.k.a. the Devil, is the big bad of the film, but he enlists all the goblins to kind of help him out. And the goblins speak uh, exclusively in rhymes. Uh, so there's a bit where the goblins go, higher, higher, burning fire, making music like a choir, <laughs> which is fucking amazing. Yeah. Like, th- those goblins have got bars, man. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> those are lyric- lyrical goblins. It must be a right pain for them to speak, or maybe it comes naturally to them. My favourite character, well, one of my favourite moments in this film, right? So there's a little fairy that's like a little glowing light. Mm. And it turns out Tinkerbell. that this little glowing light, like Tinkerbell, yeah, um, it turns out that she can size up to like human being size but she's kept that a secret um. and she tells Jack you know don't tell anyone you know she seems to have like a fondness for Jack uh, later on uh, when they reach the, uh, the, the the sort of the dungeon prison portion of darkness's lair they need the help of someone to, to unlock to get keys and unlock them so Jack has the idea that you know well I know someone who can help us Una, the fairy, who's hiding this thing. She's all like, Jack, you promised! <laughs> he just ruins her secret. What when, uh, you know, there's this great moment in that prison cell where she says to him, I'll help you, Jack, if you'll kiss me. And everyone's watching. All of like his, these other people, like there's like Gump and then like these known people that have, that have, that have come along the way. like uh, <laughs> Dwarfs. They're all, they're all sitting there watching like as this happens with this kind of like... And, uh, you know, Jack kisses her, or, or, or he says that he, he gives her, like, a little peck. He goes, call that a kiss. And he's like, you know, he doesn't want to betray Lily. He doesn't want to betray his love for Lily. He doesn't Lily. want to betray Lily. He's like, human hearts don't work that way. And Una jumps up and goes, what care I of human hearts? Soft and spiritless as porridge. A fairy's heart beats fierce and free. And then she, like, tw- goes back to twinkly size, and it goes, me. <laughs> and she like flies off what a brat but she comes back as, as it happens Gump who I'm going to get into Gump later on Gump says to <laughs> to Jack your fine sensibilities have left us here to rot <laughs> and then uh, then she comes back with the keys and it's like oh you're actually you're going to help us after all after all your moaning you know and she, <laughs> she says stupid fairy she says look at you you look like your mourners at your own funeral like from behind the key, and she's like doing that thing where she's holding the keys back and they're trying to reach for it through the bars and stuff. Right. I think that like that scene is great. There's great moments in this film. It's a haphazard edit, right? Because they they cut this film down to 86 or 89 minutes or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ridley Scott, the backstory is, is that he got nervous because people giggled during Yeah, so apparently the, mo- the movie was 150 minutes long and during a test screening, people who had been smoking pot outside uh, had, had come in and laughed at it, so he decided he'd cut it down to 90 minutes. Yeah. 150 minutes, though, that's that is It would have been long. a long fucking movie, yeah. yeah. That, that would have been way too long. So yeah, so cutting it down to, to, like, to something closer to, to what it is is fine, but this film is edited down way too much in terms of... That's what it feels like, you yeah. Just, yeah, you just feel... Because like, it, all no... the elements of a fantasy movie are there. You've got, like, you've got fairies, you've got dwarves, you've got goblins, you've got, uh, like, side quests that are alluded to, and nothing ever comes of any of it. It's mm. literally just background decoration, and there's no symbolic representation there. It's literally just fucking 
Yeah. Here, here's here's some dressing. Here's some uh, theatrical uh, fantasy dressing. A director's yeah. cut. I've got that on DVD. It does exist. It, unfortunately, it's got the Jerry Goldsmith soundtrack, which was the original. I'm personally a fan of the Tangerine Dream soundtrack, which is on the US. Is that like the, the an electronic soundtrack? Yeah, that's what you See, listen. Because I think that I think that would be terrible, right? Because because what I was talking about with Labyrinth. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Jerry Goldsmith is more actually is more violin, yeah, yeah, yeah. more orchestrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that suits fantasy, right? Whereas, yeah. like, fucking, like, we were talking about with Labyrinth, the kind of synthy score of Labyrinth is, is cute, but it's like, this is a fantasy film, what the mm. fuck? Whereas, maybe I haven't heard the Tangerine Dreams. You have. That's what you watched. No, I didn't. I didn't watch your DVD. I watched the, I watched the one on Amazon Prime. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. You've watched the blue, uh, so, so that's the European edit, yeah. Yeah, I didn't watch the, I didn't watch the American edit. Fuck. Yep, sorry, man. <laughs> okay, so you've, you've not watched the same version that I'm kind of I haven't of watched the same version. Yeah, so I've seen the, the one that you've, you've watched though, and I've seen the uh, director's cut. Oh, wait, did the they, are, is the actual cut different? Yeah. Oh, we should have prepared. I didn't realise. <laughs> yeah, no, um, you've watched, I think you've probably watched one where, Certain things make more sense. Actually, there's oh a, there's God. a real humour to the fact that Legend, the the US theatrical cut. Um, you see, when when uh, Gump's quest, Gump is a, a character with like pointy ears that comes in after the world's turned to shit. He comes up to Tom Cruise. What's happened here, Jack? You know these woods more than anything. Has anything untowards happened? And uh, you know, I took Lily to see the unicorn. You did what? She touched it. Touched it. Touch the unicorn, and he's going totally apeshit at uh, Tom Cruise's character for letting him let touch him, the a mortal touch the unicorn. But then he goes, "You've got to forgive me, Gump. I did it for love." And then Gump just immediately one eighties and goes, "Love, you say? Well, that's another matter. A toast to love." And then they pour drinks, and I was like, "It's the most ridiculous one eighty, like just like that." Yeah. You know what? Since it's for love, eh? And I actually think it sounds almost like you're waiting for the sarcasm to come to an end, and it's like you're still a fucking idiot. You know, it's but like no. When, no, it's like when you say, you know, oh well, in that case, a toast to love, eh? Let's fucking pour a drink. Uh, fucking no, 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 it's like legit. Like it's a sincere, legit. Yeah. It's a legit. Yeah, let's toast to love. And then well, yeah, we'll there's a lot of bizarre tonal shifts in this film for, for yeah. sure. Like there's a bit. So there's a bit where Tom and uh, Tom Cruise and Mia Sarah's character are discussing marriage, and uh, she, uh, the princess. Uh, takes off her ring and she goes the true man I marry will uh, will have this ring So and then she throws it into the water and then Tom Cruise dives into the water and then she's like no wait what have I done and it's like why are you surprised that he jumped in after the ring like you wanted him to do that why are you surprised yeah. and then she ends up like really hysterical about it and stuff and it's like why are you, why are you so sad he likes you yeah, yeah. <laughs> like he's whipped fairies fairies everywhere you look Tastes great in the recipes of my cookery book. To summon an army as vast as La Luna, an evil clan known as the Sepultura. <laughs> my dad's a very holy man and a major guacamole fan. Now approaching midnight hour, fallen Madonna turns everything sour. I hate my neighbours. My favourite film is Hobbs and Shaw. It really excites my knob and boss. I haven't seen, honestly, the film version that you've seen, I haven't seen that in a long time. I don't think it's that different. Uh, so, but, my favourite um, scene, yeah. I was actually going to uh, bring this up after you said your fucking favourite scene, motherfucker. Uh, was... Actually, that's uh, one that I mentioned is my second favourite, but Carrie. Oh, is your first favourite? I'm going to test this. Hopefully, we've got the same favourite scene. 
Is your favourite scene the scene with the Swamp Witch outside the castle? Oh, that's... that's uh, Yeah, that's a great That one. is amazing. So, that is a moment that Meg Mucklebones's... Yeah. Miss Meg. Yeah, Miss Meg. So, there's a bit where they're just outside the uh, the castle of, Lord, of the Lord of Darkness. And this fucking, like, huge, big, tall witch thing bursts out of the water outside of the castle. And she's, like, petrifying looking. Like, I, see, if I saw this film as a child... I don't think I'd have recovered from it ever because she's so scary looking. Yeah. And um, the effects and stuff, it's, it's clearly like a puppet. It's like an animatronic. Or a... No, no. It's a, an actor wearing, Is it? wearing the costume. It's wow. a, he's a famous guy. He's, um, oh my God. I can't remember his name, but uh, he's in like Star Trek Next Generation. Holy shit. So that's, it's amazing. Like, I wish there was more of that in films nowadays. That, that was like the, the conversation they have and the kind of like, even the facial expressions of this, like... So you've seen the long version of that where it's like, you know, a beauty such as you, you know, and he yeah. gives her the shield. And he gives her the shield, yeah. like, ah! Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, that's, so a, good, good. that's a good moment. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like why... Like, <laughs> like, there's no relevance to the rest of the movie at all. It's just a, it's just an obstacle for them to get through. But, like, yeah. that moment with that witch is brilliant. Like, if you, if you want to force yourself to watch this pretty crap movie, like, that is a perfect example of like a bit in it that really shines out in my opinion it's so well done so that's a great that is a great moment uh, really good moment this uh, this film is it's not like it's devoid of great moments at no, all of course not uh, even the bit where lily dances and becomes the dark prince that's my favorite I but it's my favorite it. with the tangerine dream soundtrack uh, okay see right, if you listen so... i don't know what the jerry goldsmith score it kind of it kind of does its thing and stuff but when I was a kid I watched it with the Tangerine Dream thing and I was like what's happened to this film when I watched it later on with the Jerry Goldsmith score and then I realised it was a different soundtrack and I listened to the old one I I had to buy a US DVD a region one to even hear it it didn't work on my DVD it doesn't doesn't exist the Tangerine Dream score doesn't exist on any home it's because like it's because the thing he didn't like it. Wasn't he doesn't it? like it's a dick. Really, he like needs it. to give. It's a, it's a George Lucas thing of you need to give people a chance to like things that you don't like. Mm, but Tom Cruise doesn't like it either. But he's a dick, <laughs> right? You see, if you put the edit that you watched yep. with the soundtrack that I like, I mm. I would defend this film as a four star movie. No way, really? I would, yeah. No. But you don't know how powerful that music is. Is it that good? I don't know. But you probably still wouldn't like it because like you I like the, I like this, the kind the synthy of thing. I like the I like it when fantasy movies kind of involve you and and like so if you're watching a fantasy movie with a synth score you're I always, don't you're, think... you're always thinking oh this is a synth score in a fucking fantasy film. I don't think it has that effect. No? I think it's a swampy thick oh, okay. dread-fueled dark fucking soundtrack. Okay. So it's but not campy. It's... No. Okay, maybe I will listen to it. So anyway, the scene we were talking about is there's a moment where yeah. um, Princess Lily is in the castle of the Lord of Darkness, and they there's a, and basically she's dancing with a kind of dark entity, like a dark like the dress is essentially alive. Yeah, dancing. she dances with a dress, and then she spins around with it with it with it dancing with this dress, and then she suddenly becomes this dark princess with like dark hair and dark eye makeup and big dark gown on encompassed like by the dress so good moment yeah. is excellent and then the lord of darkness played by tim curry is genuinely amazing like the makeup on that guy is insane like apparently it took like five hours to apply and it's like this yeah. huge big red face sculptural looking it looks a little bit like hellboy and the horns are huge it's so cool <laughs> i love it like ridley scott says that when he talked to he, he, he'd seen tim curry and based on the rocky horror picture show 
he thought this guy could do like a seductive evil thing. And that's exactly what he does. So he goes to Tim Curry with it, and apparently Tim Curry's reaction was, oh, well, it sounds a bit weird, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, Tim. So, sounds a bit weird, but okay. But that's like, that's like Tim Curry's real wheelhouse as well. It's like, sounds a bit weird, I'm in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. The Lord of Darkness in this is, is great. And it, I think it won some kind of magazine award of, you know, the best performance in a bad movie. And it's like, you know, so right, 100%. Like. Yeah. No, I'm going, to, I'm going to defend this film, right? You see, with, yeah. if, you, if you marry this uh, Tangerine Dream soundtrack with that edit that you watched, mm. I think it's a four-star film. Unfortunately, that doesn't exist. They're not going to put that soundtrack with, okay. that, with that edit. And that really frustrates me. Okay. So I, I, I usually just watch the... US theatrical cut and just forgive the fact that it's a crappy edit of the film okay. and enjoy the, the world and the <laughs> soundtrack like I did when I was young. But you see, when I, I was a kid, even then, I knew that this film wasn't great. I wouldn't have the vocabulary at that time to put I it. I couldn't articulate yeah. it at the time. I would just be like, fuck off, I like it kind of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But now I can say that basically what I liked about this as a kid was the, the, the world building, the, mm. the the built world. And that's always going to be there you know? regardless of what cut it is. You know what yeah, I mean? So yeah, so that's what I really connected with. I think and it's just this film, it just begs for some style, I think. Like, there's no kind of style to the direction and it's just, everything's so generic. So, so the seductive evil Lord of Darkness, like, it'd be cooler if he maybe sang a song or, you know what I mean? Or if there was like some fucking cool glam rock playing in the background or something. But no, he's just this kind of generic evil guy. He's yeah. good, but it's like, it could have been so much better. I don't know. So, I think that you know. I think the fact that he looks as monstrous as he does, and it's it's straight out of you know that. Oh, I would have been scared fuckless if I'd think, seen it. Yeah. I think it's straight out of you know when you talk about generic. There's an element of that that's even that that's good. I think the fact that this is the devil as you imagine him. You know, if, if you think of a devil, it's a bright red guy with horns. No, that's fine. It's more just if the... you think of hell, yeah. it's fire and people getting. <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's I don't people know. lying. There's you know there's scenes of hell in this film where people are lying flat on their backs and this fucking hooded fucking pig man <laughs> is like <laughs> clobbering him with the thing and it's just like the the flames are just whoosh. yeah and it's like you know what before I saw this film when I was an even younger kid than that someone talked about people talked about the devil and hell mm. and I would think of that image yeah, yeah and when I saw it in the film I was like no, no, there's a film that's got that image right I don't there. think that's the problem it's, it's yeah. literally just like even just like the editing and just I don't know I just I just wish it had a little bit more punch and style to it just like I'm not complaining about what you actually see because obviously the visuals are amazing but like I don't know I just there's something about the way it's put together and realised that it's not very I don't know it's not very good to me I don't know I just yeah Bored of it. It's fair boring. enough. Fair yeah. enough. But uh, yeah, so you also haven't heard, uh, you know, the Biggles uh, found soundtrack that I talked about earlier in this season. The mm. you want to be a hero, hero. Yeah. Uh, sung by John Anderson. He sings a song in the the US theatrical cut. <laughs> At the end of the film, there's a se- there's a whole montage set to the song where. Uh, John Anderson with his high-pitched voice is all like, Legends can be now and forever! You just like, it's so 80s and cheesy, but I think that the, the, the combination of that soundtrack to that to the film, it actually predates sort of, in a, ha- in a, in a wrong sort of way, mm. it kind of feels like a precursor to things like Mandy and uh, Drive, you know, like the Nicholas Winding Refn thing. Of like, take two things that jar 
and throw them together for effect. Mm. I kind of feel like it's a precursor to that. Even. Maybe I'll watch it one day. No, you're not going to watch nah. it. You've obviously heard the Jerry Goldsmith score version. If you yeah, agree, the score didn't stand out, but I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. It, the, the score by Jerry Goldsmith is more generic than the fucking film Yeah, but it's, it suits, I don't know, maybe not, I don't know. No. I think that the... It, it tessellates. That's that, that. My only thing is that it kind of, it works. It works with the rest of the visuals and stuff like that. But, but yeah, no, the Tangerine uh, Dream turns it into actually like an extraordinary yeah. type thing. Well, Roger Ebert, my boy, I, I've been looking at, I've been, re- I've been reading a lot of him recently. I don't know why. Yeah, I've just been reading a lot of his fucking criticism on film. So I'll like, watch a film, read, read his review and be like, hmm, good point, Roger. He said about this film, all of the special effects in the world and all of the great makeup, and all of the great Muppet creatures can't save a movie that has no clear idea of its own mission and no joy in its own accomplishment. No joy in its own accomplishment? How do you... How is that? No joy. No joy. No No joy. joy. 24.5 million of joylessness. There we go. I had no joy watching this film 20 million... 24.5 million times. No joy. So Ridley Scott, uh, <laughs> what was I going to say? Uh, 